You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. This is MLB.com Extras, Chicago White Sox edition. I'm Anthony Kastrovin. I am joined by Scott Merkin. Talk about the Sox and Merck. I don't know. The old switcheroo was pulled on uh, this, this front office here. They won seven in a row right before the deadline to get within a win of 500. Now they're going into the week seven under 500. And you almost wonder if there's such a thing as buyer's remorse. I wonder if there's such a thing as uh, Stan Patter's remorse. Uh, what, what's your read on that situation? First of all, is it the switcheroo or is it what's good for the goose is good? No, I'm kidding. Just doing a little, uh, little Seinfeld bit there for all who remember that. Um, you know, I think uh, this is not really unexpected, unfortunately, for the Sox this year. They're basically a 500 to somewhat, you know, not not a good piece, but slightly below 500 team. And that's how they've played all year. And, you know, I think the Sox had to, in the back of their mind, I'm not even talking about, you know, beating up on, you know, teams that were not playing as well as them at the time and the Indians and the Red Sox, because they played well. They had seven of their best games of the year right in a row there, but it's just that's how they've that's how they've gone this year. You know, they they've never been more than one game above 500. They've never been more than ten games under. So that's you know pretty much mediocre right there. And they've had instances where you know they swept Houston, who is still leading the AL West, and got to within two games of 500, and then lost eight straight. So you know, I mean, it's it's they've had other instances where they swept Oakland, and then went one and six, I believe, after that. So it's it's pretty much what I mean. I, I think people got a little caught up because of the fact they actually hit in that winning streak, which they hadn't in past winning streaks. But the bottom line is, it's just what this team is at this point, you know, and it's an, it's it's disappointing for everyone in the organization. I'm sure everyone in that club, clubhouse even more so that they're just not better than they are. And I, I don't think to answer your question, I don't think this buyer's remorse, or I'm sorry, Stan Patter's remorse, we we just invented a new phrase because, you know, they asked for a high price for some margin. They didn't get it, so they didn't move them, and they felt at that time that with the parity that was in that second wild card, they still had a, they still had a chance at it, you know. I guess there's one more point. There's one small silver lining. Now, granted, they have a bunch of teams to jump once again, but the team that looks like they're going to have to catch, if not, you know, if Houston doesn't come back to the pack, is the Angels. And over the next ten games, they play seven games against the Angels. So that would be very telling, I think, what what this season. You know, if if that long distance small chance still exists, we'll know by next Thursday night, most likely. So there you go. Just went all seven against the Angels, and you're you're right in it. Uh, you know, I think they I think they can probably win six and still be in there. Okay. Uh, the Shark, <laughs> the Marja. Jeez, Merck. I mean, what do you make of this season? There, there's times we've done these podcasts, talk about how good he's going, how bad he's going. Um, I, I think it's a a worthwhile or a reasonable question to ask if if the contract pressure uh, is on his mind at all here down the stretch, especially after. Uh, you know, sticking with the White Sox here through the trade deadline. What What are your thoughts on that? What are, you, what are your thoughts on his uh, his year and how it's going to finish? With some, you're talking about some Archer, right? Yes. Yeah, sorry, I didn't hear the first one. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think the contract – he's not a guy who strikes me as someone who contracts, you know, the situation against him. This is something he's been pointing to for, you know, for years, and he wanted to test free agency. So I don't think that's on his mind. And even if this year doesn't turn out near to what it's what he wants, his, his strikeout per nine inning ratio is down. His uh, ERA is you know hovering in four and a half area. He's had some really bad outings. I think he leads the majors as a starting pitcher with most uh, games pitched with seven earned runs or more. Uh, he's going to get paid in the offseason because he is still a pretty solid starting pitcher and he's a guy 
who's going to, you know, for the most part, now he has in the last couple of starts, but he's going to give you seven innings, you know, more often than not, I think. And, and there's, there's a lot to be said for those kind of pitchers these days. And, you know, he, he has, even in the past when he was, you know, putting up 200 strikeouts and knocking him down for the Cubs and a little bit for the A's last year, he still had his stretches where, you know, Smart didn't pitch. It wasn't overwhelming. I don't know if he's the definition. Well, he's not, at least this year for sure, the definition of a number one. He's not, you know, in David Price's category right now. But I don't think that's been the case. I, for some reason, it just hasn't clicked this year. You know, and, and he struggled a lot out of the stretch, too, which is an interesting point. So, I, you know, it just hasn't – it has overall just hasn't – it's kind of emblematic of the whole Sox season, you know, high expectations and not meeting them so far. You know, here we are in, in mid-August and – not close to what they thought on, on him or the team overall. All right, so how's this for a transition, Merck? If the White Sox don't sign Samarja, they get a draft pick as compensation. And that leads to my next question. Nick Hostetler taking over the draft operations. You like how I did that, Merck? Very nice. Good, good smooth yeah. move there, I think. I like that a lot. Um, tell me about uh, Hostetler taking over and uh, uh, what, what he brings to the table, basically. Nick's a real good guy. The only fault I can find with Nick is he's a huge uh, Ohio State fan, so that kind of knocks him down a rung right there. But aside from that very knowledgeable baseball guy, um, you know, basically following up another very knowledgeable baseball guy, one of the nicest guys you'll deal with, Doug Lauman, who, you know, has gone on to other scouting endeavors now in the organization. But last year, uh, Doug pretty much centered on the first round pick, which was, you know, Carson Palmer at number eight overall. And then Nick pretty much ran the rest of the draft. Remember, they didn't have a second and third round pick last year, so from the fourth round on. And Nick's been there a while, so this is not, it's almost sort of like when uh, Rick Hahn took over as GM from Kenny Williams and Kenny Williams became executive vice president. You know, they'd been there together for a number of years, for more than a decade, so it's not like it's a new face coming in. But I think, you know, in talking to Nick last week in a story I did just about the, the dearth of, of hitters coming from the Sox system in particular, I think they're going to take a little more, you know, statistical approach. Nick talked a little bit more about finding more contact hitters, maybe less on the premium athlete side and more on the premium athlete slash baseball player side. So I think that's one of the things you're going to look at. I think, you know, they those first two rounds, depending on where they finish, if they have a you know top 13 pick and then have the comp pick and they don't sign some artists, you may see them going after hitters in both of those because they are short on that in the system. But you know, I don't think it's going to be an overhaul. I just think it's going to be some uh, a closer look at analytics and maybe even a closer look at high school players, although they have taken their fair share. So it's a guy who's known to the organization. He's known to Rick Hahn. He's, he works well with Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and Jerry Reinsdorf and everyone else, and it's a it's a well-earned promotion. Good good guy, good baseball mind. Last year's number one pick, Carlos Rodon. Another transition there, Merck. Come for the Sox, Sox, stay for the transition. Uh, Rodon has struggled the last nine starts. Uh, ERA north of seven in that span. This is a guy who was viewed as a big X factor for this club, and I guess you can point to this as another area that you know hasn't gone like anybody anticipated for them uh, here this year. But what's been your read on what you've seen from him, particularly here lately, and just his development as a as a guy they can rely on moving forward? Well, I have to tip my cap, a, you know, a good baseball term there to one of my coworkers, Doug Padilla, who a California kid who uh, pointed out to me, you know, when I was talking, we were sitting in the press box one day talking about Rodon and saying, you know, what do you really see in him so far? And he said, take a look at Clayton Kershaw's first year or two. And a lot of walks, a lot of control issues early on, and then it clicked for him. And, I mean, you can go to a guy who just got inducted to the Hall of Fame, Randy Johnson, you know, and 
I think once it clicks for these high-end talents, then they're unstoppable. And that's been the, the thing with Carlos this year is he's just not, you know, I, I guess what Robin's using is attacking the strike zone as much, but he walks too many guys. He's behind in too many counts. And then, you know, he struggled at home the last couple times out and got an early, you know, um, move off the mountain from Robin last time, early hook, I guess you want to say, because, you know, they're fighting for every breath they have right now. I think he's going to be fine. I think he's a very talented kid. You talk to hitters who face him, and they really like the stuff he has, how the ball comes out of his hand, that slider he has, and, you know, the changeup is developing, much like Chris Sale in his early stages. But I think it's just a question of just getting acclimated, you know, and, and he's a young pitcher. It just hasn't come to him all at once. But I think, you know, when, when all is said and done with Carlos, they're going to be real happy with that draft pick. He, he's a, a, a guy they had to take there, a premium pitcher, who's just kind of getting his feet under him in the major leagues this season. They had to be pleased with Nate Jones coming back from surgery. And the first time I was touching triple digits on the gun, um, as we are in getting to more of an evaluative state for this club moving forward, uh, that looks like a, an enticing piece for them in the bullpen. Yeah, I think he deserves a lot of credit. Herm Schneider, Brian Ball, the minor league, you know, court, you know, conditioning coordinators and trainers and everything else, because he really had a brutal 2014 year, one you wouldn't wish on your your worst enemy, let alone a good kid like Nate Jones. And you know, he came to camp and he really wasn't even healthy from the outset of camp last in 2014. He he didn't throw until later in camp, and then I think he faced five batters last year, didn't retire any of them. They finally pinpointed what was, you know, like first a glute injury, then a hip injury to a back problem. He had a microdisectomy in May, and as he was rehabbing from that, he tore his UCL. So, I mean, that's just a crazy stretch for him, and he fought hard. You know, he didn't talk a lot about, you know, small goals from, from week to week, day to day, but he had set the all-star break as a target to come back this year, and he just missed that by a few weeks. So, you know, hats off to Nate Jones. And he said that during the work he's done, during the seven simulated games and the, I think it was eight minor league appearances, he cleaned up his mechanics a little bit too. So he said he feels as good as he's felt in a long time. And remember, this was the kid who, you know, they didn't really officially state it because he was hurt from the beginning of camp. But with Edison Reed being traded, he was going to be the closer out of camp last year. He was almost certainly going to be the White Sox closer. So now you add him to the mix with David Robertson, Zach Duke, and Dan Jennings, and Jake Patricia and Zach Putnam, and all those. I mean, you have a, you have a pretty good bullpen down there, pretty good alignment, and it's a big addition. I'm sure the Sox were hoping that this would be kind of a trade deadline move if they were still in it, but, you know, they have kind of dropped off a little bit. But, again, it's it's just in a team sport, it's a great individual story with what the hard work Nate had to come back. Absolutely. And the bullpen should be in good shape, and they'll just need some leads to protect moving forward. I want to thank Scott Merkin for joining us, as always. Talk about all things White Sox, and thank you all for tuning in. This has been MLB.com Extra, Chicago White Sox edition. MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service, is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free At-Bat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go. Every night, on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details.